Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, we have a great show lineup for today. And you know it's our 230th episode? <laughs> is it? It is. It is. It's almost the age of the country, right? I guess is a man. Not we, not quite yet. Close. We, we've been doing a lot of these, so <laughs> so we ought to be pretty good at it. We better perform here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We we've got a great uh, topic here, and this is um, missing retirement accounts um, out there. People are are just leaving their four hundred one ks, and they're they're you know there's company mergers and pensions are going away, and uh, it's a crisis. I mean, there's a lot of money sitting out there that people haven't uh, you know found yet. Yeah, that's a really important topic. That's so easy to happen when you've changed jobs two or three times and you, you know, stayed with one for maybe 10 or 10 years and you have a, a pension or something out there. You want to make sure you know where those are and you know how to find them. So that's a great topic. And then we're going to follow that up with how to break the medical insurance squeeze. You know, medical insurance, I don't know if, if you know, everybody out there is like me, but it's just shocking how much it goes up every year and uh, oh, yeah. the, the deductibles go up. And so it's becoming harder and harder. So we're going to talk about some ways to to address that issue and how to some alternatives to the traditional you know, insurance as well. Um, so that's a great topic as well. But by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro with over 23 years experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro. I have an MBA in finance. I've been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. And we're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, go check out the website. That's where we post them at moneymd.net. We have some great tools and resources out there, Facebook page, and also a uh, Twitter account as well. Yep, and check us out on our website, moneymd.net, where you can link to us there and ask us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net, or you can go right on our website as well. And uh, but we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from the Investment Company Institute. And um, interesting, Steve, last year, 91% of participants in 401k plans or defined contribution plans did not change their asset allocation um, at all during 2017. And, you know, the markets did very, very well. Um, there were some segments that did extremely well. I think emerging markets was um, up in the 30% range. So it may be something right. that you want to take a look at. And, you know, periodically reallocating and rebalancing your portfolio is advised. Yeah, you don't want to just totally forget about your 401k, you know, I, 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 but you also don't want to day trade it. So you don't want to be in there trading no. and moving around every day. At the same time, you know, you need to be looking at it, reallocating it, rebalancing it. You know, when a fund change happens, you need to find a good substitute and make sure you're in a good allocation. So, and that's something we help our clients do, but uh, 91% is a big number. So a lot of people are just, just totally forgetting about it. So good fact of the week. And that leads up here to our first topic, and that is missing retirement accounts cost retirees billions, billions. Billions with a B. That's a lot of money. Yeah, this comes from Kiplinger's, um, uh, Lanor uh, Lazi, uh, senior editor. And Steve, this is an issue. I mean, forgotten 401ks and pensions are contributing to a growing retirement crisis of workers who are, aren't collecting the benefits that they're owed. And, you know, it's it's time to retire. So what exactly has become of the pensions that you earned decades ago or even the 401ks? And that's a that's a hard question. It may seem straightforward, but it's not. And um, your former employer 
you know, maybe they've gone through bankruptcy or merger spinoff, and it makes it really tough to track down that retirement plan. Um, you know, maybe the uh, the employer transferred its pension, li- pension liabilities to an insurance company, um, which now owes you an annuity, but the insurer has lost track of your contact information. And um, a lot of times people leave 401k balances at their former employers, and it's been transferred to an IRA without their knowledge or even consent. So big issue here. Yeah, when you move, you don't think about going and changing the address on your pension plan from 10 years ago, you know, that you, you know, are only going to get four or $500 a month for um, when you're age 65. So you got to think about that. I mean, it's easy for them to lose track of that money and them to lose track of you. But all of those scenarios are contributing to a growing retirement crisis. You know, not the one that usually makes headlines about workers who haven't saved enough, but the lesser known crisis affecting workers who can't find or even know about the benefits that they're owed from their previous employer. Yes, MetLife, who uh, who's an insurer, and they're in the business of taking over some of these pension obligations from employers. They recently revealed that it had inappropriately failed to make payments to over 13,000 people. Companies said that it tried to contact the workers only twice, and then they gave up. And uh, recent U.S. Department of Labor investigations have found that some pension plan records on retired participants are full of holes. They have missing names, ages, and even Social Security numbers. And just how big is the problem? More than 25 million American workers who left an employer between 2004 and 2013 left at least one retirement account um, behind. And uh, the Pension Action Center at the University of Massachusetts in Boston estimates that retirees are owed upwards of $150 billion in pension benefits. And uh, that's incredible. It's a big number. That's a huge number. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a lot of money out there that, you know, people are missing out on. And, yeah, the bi- there's some bipartisan legislation that was introduced in the Senate in March that aims to fix the problem, uh, but it's also drawing some fire from the retirement plan participant advocate advocates out there. The retirement... Savings Lost and Found Act of 2018 would create an online plan registry to help workers locate all of their their money, their employer-sponsored retirement accounts, um, and it will be a big improvement over the scattered and incomplete, sometimes outdated resources that are currently available to workers. But it also lays out steps that employers have to take <clears throat> to track down the missing participants, and those steps are minimal, critics say, compared to the search requirements outlined in the current registry guidelines. So there's some back and forth on it, but it's still at least a good step. Having a database was a great idea. I mean, obviously, the onus is is clearly on the workers to keep track of their plans and claim the benefits they're owed. Some steps are fairly simple. Keep all your statements and other communications from your retirement plans and also notify your, your former employers and plan record keepers of any changes to your contact information. Well, yeah, that's simple, but people aren't doing it. So need to make sure that you're looking at that. And also consider consolidating old 401ks into an IRA um, or maybe your your current employer's plan. If you leave behind an old 401k holding less than $5,000, the employer can transfer your savings to an IRA without your consent. And uh, these forced transfers, sometimes the fees are very, very high and they outweigh the investment return. So got to take control of this. This is important. Yeah, absolutely. You don't want to let this happen by default. So keep an eye on your uh, 
your your former employers, watching for any company relocations, mergers, bankruptcies. If your plan is terminating, it must send you a notice. So terminating pension plans that are insufficiently funded will likely be turned over to the PBGC, the Pension Benefit Gratuity Corporation. Um, And while well-funded plans have to purchase annuities for participants from an insurance company, um, if your plan is turned over to an insurer, make sure uh, make note of the group annuity contract number, which should be included in the plan communication. So pay attention to those communications you get through the mail about your previous plan. Yeah, and sometimes the Social Security Administration may send you a notice um, of a potential private pension benefits. Um, you know, you can also go to the uh, Pension Benefit Guarantee Corps uh, Corporation list of missing participants, and um, pensionhelp.org is another place that you can go check out. It doesn't really say much about 401ks in here. I know we found a website, missingmoney.com is another place that potentially could have some of this on there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's new legislation out there that kind of loosens the search requirements. So no matter who's in charge of your plan, don't assume that anybody's going to contact you when it's time to claim benefits. Pension plans have a uh, an incentive not to contact you. Um, says, you know, some of the experts here at the Pension Policy Center in Washington, D.C. That way, the money, they say, stays on their plans books and improves their funding status. So they don't have a lot of incentives to go track you down. In 2007, the Department of Labor investigated some issues in pension participants. They collected about $327 million in benefits they were owed. And, and that's just the tip of the iceberg, says this one gentleman. Current DOL guidance calls for plans to send a certified letter, check all related plan and employer records, contact the plan beneficiary, and use electronic search tools um, before pursuing you know possible additional steps. So uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren, um, she co-sponsored the bill with uh, Steve Daines, Senator Steve Daines, said in a statement that many Americans are losing out on billions of dollars in savings when they move between jobs and they leave accounts behind. This bill would make it easier for Americans to keep the savings they've worked hard to put away in retirement. So, you know, I think the takeaway on this is the onus does fall on the workers. Um, Certainly these plan administrators should be doing a better job. I think the central database is a great answer, but at the end of the day, it, it, you know, the onus rests on, on you listening. Yeah, you have to pay attention to it. And even if they open that that central database, you're going to have to go out there and search your your data, put your data in there and look for your old plans. So um, you need to pay attention to those communications you get from your old plan. And when you do move, you need to to contact them and change your address so you get any future notifications. So but that's a great, great topic. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, the question is, is can I use an HSA to fund long-term care insurance? And the simple answer is, is yes, you can. HSA, healthcare savings account, um, allows you to, to save money. You have to have a high deductible plan, right? Right, right. And um, you can save money in there. It helps you on your taxes today. And if you use it for medical uh, in the future, then, and then it's tax-free. Right. Absolutely. Yep. So, so these are really good things. So the short answer is yes, HSA can be used to fund long-term care um, premiums. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great way to fund your long-term care. I mean, you can put $6,850 in there per year now as a family in 2018 in an HSA account if you have a qualifying high-deductible HSA uh, medical policy. And so I would encourage everybody to do that. It's an automatic um 
adjustment to your gross income. So it comes right off of your taxes uh, when you do that. Um, it's a great tool. So use that tool if you have that available um, and make sure you, you and you don't necessarily have to spend the money. You can let it accumulate. And that's what what I've done. And uh, kind of use that money for retirement for long-term care expenses down the road. So I think that's a great, great way to do it. So good question of the week. And that leads up to our next topic here. And that is how to break the medical insurance squeeze. Yeah, John, um, this is a, a recent article posted on, on Wikipedia by Jennifer Dorsey. And, um, you know, if you're like millions of Americans that are not covered by a large employer medical plan, you've undoubtedly felt this medical insurance squeeze. I mean, it's the squeeze of escalating premiums, collapsing coverage, higher deductibles, and the Obamacare subsidies, you know, including the premium tax credits um, and cost-sharing reductions, they do help individuals and families with lower income to obtain health insurance. However, the middle-income earners are caught in the middle, and they're kind of feeling the pressure, you know, and that's those of us who, who earn too much to qualify for the help from the subsidies but are getting crushed by the increasing premiums and deductibles. And if that's you, then you're feeling the medical insurance squeeze, and there are not a lot of easy solutions out there. However, there are some things you can do to ease the burden to to get by until Washington puts some sanity back in our health care system. Yeah, under the Affordable Care Act, the health insurance plans that qualify as minimum essential coverage can be purchased only on the state-based and federally facilitated exchanges um, if, they're, if they're part of the Affordable Care Act. But um, what you can do if you don't find acceptable coverage on the exchange that's affordable for you. The question is, what can you do? And the answer is you can buy coverage outside of the ACA's government exchanges. So here are some alternatives to and ways to shop for insurance off the exchanges. Yeah, the first one is is use an insurance broker. I mean, you can get a licensed health in, uh, insurance broker uh, that can help you navigate the Affordable Care Act landscape. Um, they can also introduce you to ACA-compliant health insurance plans, um, that may not be on your state exchange. Um, so they can help you look at some alternatives, maybe short-term medical, supplemental, dental, and so forth. But bottom line is is try to get a broker that can help you kind of navigate the different options. Yeah, and be aware that not all insurance agents and brokers will sell all the health insurance plans that are available in your region. And, you know, some of the brokers who represent many companies and, you know, the agents are, are usually captive agents who only sell for one company. So you'll want to find a broker if possible um, so that they have a better chance of offering the coverage that would lower your premiums and meet your needs. So look for an insurance broker out there. That was the first one. The second one here, though, is online marketplaces other than uh, the healthcare.gov and state exchanges um, are available to you. So whether or not you enroll in an Obamacare plan, you will likely have lots of -of out-of-pocket medical expenses in the years to come. Um, So shop online um, for an insurance brokerage website such as ehealthinsurance.com, which can help you find a range of healthcare benefits and not just the ACA qualified coverage uh, so that you can compare a lot of companies at once. And furthermore, if you're without an ACA or, you know, Affordable Care Act 
qualified major medical plan, you can also purchase temporary benefits in the form of a short-term medical plan or a medical bundle um, that pairs a hospital plan with a short-term medical plan um, as an alternative. The ACA-qualified major medical policies, they're subject to health insurance open enrollment period. Um, Alternatively, though, uh, the supplemental health insurance coverage, that can be purchased anytime, so you're not locked into that open enrollment period as well. Yeah, another thing you can do, Steve, is get a primary care membership, and uh, it's an interesting alternative. Um, You know, uh, primary care physicians are offering services based on a uh, flat monthly fee, kind of like a gym membership. And for a monthly fee, individuals or families receive virtually unlimited routine routine medical care, uh, doctor's visits and blood tests and so forth. And essentially, you know, all the usual services that you typically get, but um, there's no copay because you're paying that monthly fee. And of course, this doesn't cover surgery or hospital stays. Uh, so to provide for those unforeseen catastrophic health care coverage, individuals can supplement their primary care membership with a high deductible, relatively low premium health insurance policy um, that can cover those uh, major issues. Yeah, I think that's an interesting alternative and something certainly worth looking at if you're without coverage. Um, you can also join a medical cost sharing program. And, you know, I'm I'm really excited about this option that has kind of matured over the years. You know, it's another increasingly popular option that exists in the form of medical cost-sharing programs like MediShare is one of them that's pretty popular now. Um, it's a medical cost-sharing program that uh, that is set up so that members who pay monthly fees, kind of like insurance premiums, they pool their resources and they share each other's medical costs when they arise. But it works very similar to an insurance company. You know, for example, a MediShare um which has about 300,000 members, I believe, uh, with a couple in their mid-50s, the monthly share amount would be between six to $700 per month, according to their website. And that's with an annual uh, household portion, which is similar to your, your out-of-pocket deductible of $3,000. So six dollars $700 for two people per month with the $3,000 you know, combined deductible. Um, that's not a bad deal. That's a real good deal, in mm-hmm. fact. Yeah, and that annual household portion is in place of the deductible, and it's for each medical expenses, um, for the overall medical expenses for the year, and it resembles the copay, the amount the member must cover first, which is the remainder of his or her medical costs that are covered by the pooled fees by other members in the program. Um but these programs, they often negotiate with the primary care physicians and the medical facilities, such as hospitals, that keep costs down. In fact, MediShare uses the largest, I looked it up this morning, uses the largest uh, PPO network mm. in the country. Yep. So it's the same PPO network that a lot of the insurance companies use. And so they reprice your services and they file it through the PPO just like they do with the insurance now. And it goes to this cost sharing pool and gets paid out of that. One attraction of the cost-sharing program is the monthly fees are typically amount to much less than what an individual or family would pay with traditional health insurance while still offering essentially the same level of reimbursement coverage for medical costs. In fact, when I looked at their premiums on the website, John, it looks to me like it's about a half or a third of Mm -hmm. what you would pay 
for the same type of medical coverage. Yeah, through. I've looked into this as well. And the, the only the downside that I see to this, well, I mean, for me, I'm a big fan of HSAs. It's not HSA compliant. Right. It's not you, eligible. That's, that's right. You can't put money in an HSA plan with it. Um, but, you know, it does have a lower out-of-pocket. Much lower. Um, you know, $3,000 for the household. That's pretty low. Yes, it so. is. Very, very much so. So that's good. Um, the next one on the list is is actually opening up an HSA account, healthcare savings account. We talked about that a minute ago. Um, for an individual, it's thirty four fifty that you can put in there per year, or six thousand eight hundred and fifty dollars for a family. These uh, contributions go in there pre tax, so you get a tax deduction. There's no penalty for pulling them out as long as you use them for medical expenses and. Um, you know, you can put them in investments. Once you get over like $2,000, you can have it grow as well through investment performance. Yeah, and along with having the HSA account, you simply obtain a low-cost, high-deductible policy that's only designed to cover uh, for the unexpected major in- in- injuries or illness treatment. You know, it's a catastrophic health insurance policy, and that ensures the coverage in the event of an unforeseen you know, major medical expense while keeping the individual cost to a minimum. So you buy that and you pair that with an HSA policy and uh, that can work pretty well also. And the last one here is to get a medical services discount card. Um, You know, for those who prefer to operate kind of only on a cash basis for medical cost and don't mind paying the tax penalty incurred by the, well, the tax penalty went away this year, in fact, right, for the Affordable Care Act. Um, for not having insurance, there's a variety of medical discount cards that are available. And some of those discount cards can be used for physician or hospital services or other pre- uh, prescriptions or, or services um, or for both. And the discounts offered uh, with the use of the cards can be substantial, up to 80% or more in some cases. And some cards require a one-time membership fee. Others Um, then a membership fee, there can be a small monthly fee as well. And still others are available completely for free. Um, there are typically restrictions on where the discount cards can be used, you know, similar to that for a healthcare plan that requires you to use doctors within a specified network. And one notable advantage to the discount card plans is that they often can be used for major dental services for which coverage and traditional insurance isn't isn't covered. Um, and that can be, uh, you know, that can be very expensive out, you know, aside from the card discount cards can also be used in combination with a high deductible or catastrophic illness type insurance coverage as well. So you can combine those with the uh, high deductible plan. So what to be aware of though, when buying insurance away from the exchanges is you're going to lose access to the subsidies that may qual that you may qualify for, So check on those and make sure that you're making the right choice between the two. Income-based financial assistance in the form of premium tax credits and cost-sharing subsidies, it's only available for health insurance purchased on the state and federal uh, facilitated insurance exchanges. So find out if you qualify from those um, by going on, uh, I think it's healthcare.gov. And then temporary insurance coverage in the form of short-term medical plan, they can also help cover for unexpected expenses in the short term. Those are typically 30 to 90 day plans. So anyway, look at all your options and, you know, check out the uh, MediShare type coverage as well. Um, There are some options for getting insurance down 
to a reasonable level where where you can afford it, John, and it's not just you know uh, a catastrophe. I mean, I was looking at somebody the other day for them, and it was going to cost them twenty four hundred dollars a month for mm. them and their family to continue their medical coverage through their previous employer. Wow, you know, while they're out of work, it's a big and number. That's just unacceptable. And they went on MediShare instead, and they um. They they purchased MediShare and they could get that for a third of the price it was going to cost to stay on their previous coverage. Wow. So that's, it's a that, huge difference. A so yeah. yeah, you need to look into the, their alternatives and you know going it with your eyes open. All right, and that leads us up here to our prescription of the week. Do you know what the most expensive fragrance is? One of the most expensive fragrances. Fra- fragrance? You yes. mean like the smell? <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, well, the new car smell. Yeah, I think the new car smell. Cost seventy five hundred dollars on average. I, I like that. That's a good answer. Yeah, that, I like that. <laughs> so the average new car is thirty thousand dollars. You know, you're going to depreciate it in twenty five percent in the first year, so it's costing you twenty uh, seventy five hundred dollars for that new car smell. That's a good way of putting it. You're exactly right. Now I think you can buy a can of that new car you smell. You can, like probably. Just, Nine bucks or something? Yeah, just spray it on your old car, man. Just clean it up nice, and everybody will think it's brand new. It's amazing. Yeah, you really want to be careful buying a new car. It's it's fun. It's exciting. But, you know, you can go buy a year or two old car, and uh, it's it's new, and, um, you know... Your brand new car is going to be in that situation a year or two later, so exactly. it's a way to save a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a big advocate of, of buying a couple year old good used car, you know, and and losing that first two years or avoiding that first two years depreciation because that is huge. Those are very expensive years to own a vehicle, and then you know own that that puppy for ten years, drive it till it really needs to be replaced. So. Uh, yeah, that's a great prescription of the week. And you'll save a ton of money. Don't go around driving your retirement, as Dave that's Ramsey right. would say. That's right. Great prescription of the week. All right, and that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions at info at moneymd.net. Or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.